Like my brother uh, Clancy read, we'll be in Matthew 27, 57 to 66, so definitely have your Bible open. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Kyle Backus. Get to serve on staff here as our student minister. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you, okay? So afterwards, I'll be standing up here at the front. And I just I wanna make sure I always say that because I, be honest, when you stand up here, you look out sometimes and you're like, okay, there's people I need to meet. You know what I mean? There's people I need to get to know, so I would love to meet you. But as I was preparing this week, and we're gonna be talking about the burial of Christ this morning. So the body of Jesus being laid in Joseph's tomb as we just sang about. We're gonna be looking to the burial. And as I was preparing this week, there was a memory that kind of kept coming to mind for me, me and my wife, Hannah, we have one daughter right now, her name is Palmer, she's a year old. And as we were kind of preparing for her to make her arrival here on earth, I started having this new feeling I had not had before, which was, okay, time to be the best dad ever, all right? And I thought the way that that could happen was by building her crib all on my own. No one's help, and when I say no one's help, I mean especially not even the instructions, okay? I remember I looked at that box and I said, no, big deal. I'm gonna take these pieces out of the box and I'm gonna throw those instructions to the side because if you're a uh, male, right, you understand. <laughs> you gotta prove to the world for no particular reason that you can do things on your own and you don't need anyone's help, right? So that was me. And I remember I started building the crib and then long story short, uh, did not successfully build the crib, okay, on the first try without the instructions. And in fact, Hannah walks in to Palmer's room and says, you know, you probably would have been able to build that crib on the first try if you would have just used the instructions. Like, just, just a helpful word. And she was so gracious, she always is, right? And um, she said, but hey, you should use the instructions. And the reason that came to mind is when we get either to maybe this point in the book of Matthew, or maybe we're around Easter, Maybe we're just considering um, as we have our time in God's word, we're thinking about maybe Jesus' death and resurrection. We can be very prone to skip over the burial. We can kind of move quickly past it. We can maybe glance and realize, okay, yes, Jesus was buried, but then we move on to the resurrection, which, hey, life-giving, life-changing news that Jesus is alive today, reigning and ruling over the world. I get it. But Matthew's very particular in leading us to spend time this morning in considering the burial of Christ. It's not a small detail that Jesus was placed in the grave and remained there until the third day. It's a massive, massive detail and it has truth that bears in our lives in a way that you and I couldn't imagine. It's a massive part of the gospel and really what we're getting to this morning as we spend time in God's word is we wanna see how Matthew is building a picture for us of how the burial of Jesus Christ is a credible, real event. It's trustworthy, it's true, it happened. Jesus really did die for the sins of the world. Jesus really was buried so that our sin would be buried in the grave forever and put away, no longer seen by our record of sin but by the righteousness of Jesus, that's real. And we'll see next Sunday, we're not getting there just yet, but we'll see next Sunday how that plays into the resurrection. But we don't wanna move past this too quickly today. So that the burial of Christ is actually, it's, a, it's an event that maybe by folks who have questions about Jesus or maybe doubts or some form of skepticism have questioned the burial of Jesus throughout history. Even in our passage today, if you look at verse 64 with me, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they say, order the tomb to be secure. 
lest his people steal him away. So there was already an accusation there that, hey, you know what? Jesus really wouldn't come out of that grave. He, he wouldn't. Someone would have to steal his body. Maybe you've heard someone say that before. Maybe you've thought that yourself. There was also early church fathers. So here's what that means. Old dudes, okay? Beginning of church history. Like a guy named Justin Martyr. And he had commonly had approaches from those who did not follow Jesus. Who said, you know what? Jesus never really died. Something else was placed in that tomb. Something else, someone else, or maybe nothing else was placed in that tomb. But it was just a show to try to build credibility for this imposter. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've heard someone say that. Maybe you sit here this morning and you are completely unsure what you think about Jesus, what you think about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But our passage today is leading us to this. You and I can bank our lives, and that's not a dramatic uh, phrase, it's the truth. We can bank our lives upon God who reveals himself in his word. We can trust God with all that we have. By extension, we can trust God's word with everything that we have. We can bank our lives upon what we read. And for this morning, that's the credibility of the burial, that yes, Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus has done what he said he will do, and he's doing it here in our passage this morning. And really, what we're ultimately working to is that through the credibility of the burial, right? So understanding grabbing onto in faith, trusting that the burial of Christ is real. It's, credi- it's credible. And it has this power to lead us to trust God in even deeper ways. With that being truth, we're led today to know that Jesus' death was real. It bears meaning on our life and it changes our life when we trust in Christ in this way. And we'll also end today talking about how it bears truth for the resurrection. So I'm so excited for that. My brother Clancy did a great job reading the passage, so we're just gonna jump right into it. So come to verse 57 with me, if you would. And as we kind of situate our hearts back on this text and reading it together, our main idea is that the credibility of Jesus' burial leads us to see the power in Jesus' death and resurrection. Our passage today gives us two important pieces. Okay, so for my note takers, and I always say that to our students because there are a few who do take notes, proud of that. Um, Two important pieces for the credibility of the burial of Christ. So these are two great proofs for us that the burial of Christ is real. And just a quick word today to maybe anyone who's sitting here who would consider themselves a skeptic or would be honest and say, I don't know what I believe about Jesus. Or maybe you're in a season right now where your theology and what you believe about Jesus is being met by life. You know what I'm talking about? Where, hey, life is meeting you and is meeting you where you're at and you're considering what you believe this morning. If that's you, I pray that you're open to hearing these pieces of proof, that they lead your heart to trust Jesus. And for all of us this morning, that our faith would be strengthened. But through these two pieces of credibility that we're given, it leads us to the incredible power of God. So in other words, we're led to see why Jesus is the only Lord and Savior. There is no God beside him. He's worthy of our life and worthy of our worship. So our first piece of credibility that we see is in verses 57 to 61, which is the firm faith of Christ followers. So in those verses, we're introduced to Joseph and we're introduced to women who were at the scene of the tomb. But this morning, we'll start with 
Joseph. Joseph, we see in our text, take, goes to Pilate and says, I would like to take the body of Jesus so I can go bury it, wrap it in this linen shroud and place Jesus, place this body in the tomb that I've prepared for him. Our passage says that Joseph cut in the rock. But the descriptions that we get of Joseph are really important. They show us Joseph, who Joseph is and the evident faith that he had in Christ, the deep trust and belief that has been placed upon Jesus. He's described as a man from Arimathea, a rich man from Arimathea, exactly. And he comes in the evening to ask for the body. So for some good background for us, Arimathea was a Jewish town, a Jewish town where a lot of the folks who would have lived there would have been wealthy, would have had reputation, would have had status, would have been a part of all of the things that maybe you're thinking they would be in this moment. As you think about someone who's high and royal, Joseph was a part of that. He was ultimately Jewish himself. In Luke 23, verses 50 to 51, and Mark 15, 43, give us a really important detail that all of those things that Joseph is described as adds up to the fact that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And for a little bit of looking back to our last few weeks, what is the Sanhedrin? It's ruling law um, in, Jewish, in Jewish council where they are making these decisions and they're making matters of the law made known to the rest of Jewish society, right? They're judging Christ and they did judge Christ. So let's connect the dots. Joseph was a part of that council. Joseph in this moment is a part of the council that Jesus stood before after being betrayed, eventually arrested, and even handed over to death. So just moments before what we're reading now, Joseph sat idle. He sat by and watched what happened to Jesus happen. Yet now he's led, which by the way, this would have been incredibly risky to go and approach Pilate and ask for the body of a crucified criminal. We can see that Joseph had the rep. He had the status to go and talk to Pilate, which is something in itself. But what we're really needing to capture here is that it was risky. It wasn't an easy thing for Joseph to do to go and ask for the body of who they believed was a fraud. In all of their skepticism, believe this guy cannot be the savior of the world. That's not who Jesus is. So in this moment, Joseph is risking status. He's risking reputation. He's risking the way of life that he is presently living in for one thing, to glorify Jesus. He is led to glorify Jesus. And John 19 tells us that he was fearful as he does this, as he does this. Once again, right, it's not an easy thing for Joseph to do, but he comes and asks for the body of Jesus. And I wanna read Luke 23, 50 to 51, because this gives us a picture of why Joseph came and asked for the body. So I'd invite you to read along with me. This is verse 50 and 51 of Luke 23. It says, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, but a good and righteous man who had not consented, who had not approved to the actions and to the decision of the council. So he comes, he's motivated to come and ask for the dead body of Jesus. Yes, he does not consent, he does not approve of what happened to Jesus. So if you can imagine his posture on the council, he sat idle, he sat by, but he knew 
what was happening wasn't in that moment what he believed to be honoring, glorifying Jesus. So what does Joseph do? He comes back and says, no, this, this Jesus, this Lord must be honored in his death. He must be glorified in his death. But the rest of these verses give us a really powerful reason as to why he was led to do this. So we've talked about, see, Joseph was led to come and ask for the body, but why? Man, this is powerful. Verse 51 says, he, Joseph, was looking for the kingdom of God. Joseph's eyes, Joseph's gaze, his heart was set upon the kingdom of God. And that's a real life thing for him because he very much in this time would have all the kingdoms of the world. He would have all the wealth, all the status set in front of him. It would be easy to continue to sit idle and sit on the council and preserve the way of life that he felt like he had. But he's motivated. He looks to the kingdom of God. What, what's a practical way for us to put that in our language, right? That, mean, that you and I would look to the kingdom of God. Another way to say it is that Joseph was motivated by conviction rather than fear. Joseph was led by what he believes about Jesus rather than what man thinks about him. He feared God in this moment rather than fearing man. Joseph desired to honor and glorify Jesus no matter the cost. And once again, where, where does this idea come from? Why would Joseph have this category in his faith? Well, Luke 9, 23, these are Jesus' words. He says, this is what a Christ follower is like, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Joseph, we're in our passage, verse 58, 59, tells us he was a disciple of Jesus. He had heard these words before, that if we desire to follow Jesus, we will actually find ourselves in situations where we are led to deny ourselves, not seek what's best for us, not think about what preserves our desires, but what glorifies and honors Jesus. Bearing our cross, being willing to lose whatever it could mean us losing, even if it went to the point of death. And as I said, that, that sounds crazy to think that I would, I, would, I would potentially die for what I believe to be true about Jesus. Maybe that's not a category in your mind, but that happens here in our passage. It happens throughout the word of God and it happens in our world. There's many who stand upon conviction all the way into their death whether that be now, whether that be later, the life of a disciple says, yes, I will deny myself. I will ask for your help, Lord, to deny myself and take up my cross. Here's why. So I can be faithful to you. You've called me to be faithful, Lord, and I desire to do that. And that's what we see in Joseph here in his faith that's so evident for us to see. And for us, it's, it's a worthy application to think we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves in situations maybe at work, maybe in our family, maybe in our social circles, hopefully not on social media because like face-to-face -face conversations are better, but many places that we're gonna find ourselves where what we believe about Jesus, the conviction that we hold, the beliefs that we know to be true from the word of God are what will lead us. That is what a firm faith is following Jesus and being faithful to him no matter the cost. 
May the same be true for us, church family. As we see Joseph's faith is illustrative for us even further as we see what Joseph did as he has the body. So he has the body, he's taking it to the tomb, what does he do? Our passage tells us that he, in verse 59, wraps the body in a clean linen shroud. Going on, he prepares a tomb and he takes the body of Jesus to this tomb that no body had ever been before. This was specifically reserved for King Jesus. The linen would have been extremely expensive. Can you imagine what it would take to prepare a tomb, to cut out stone, to prepare a place for Jesus? Can you imagine that? And Joseph does just that. He uses his wealth, he uses his reputation and his status, essentially all that he is and all that the Lord has blessed him with to glorify and to honor Jesus. Church family, whether we would find ourselves in abundance, whether we would find ourselves in need, whether we think we have influence, whether we think we don't, whether we think we have Instagram followers, whether we think we don't, whether we view ourselves as successful or whether we think we don't, it doesn't matter. Jesus deserves every part of me and you. He's worthy of it. And a firm faith gives it all up so that Jesus can be glorified. But it's, it's important as we consider Joseph, right? And really, anytime we read the Bible and we focus on a person, that we don't just start to elevate them because that's not the goal. I wanna be really honest with you. The goal is to elevate Jesus. So let's remember Joseph once again. He sat idle moments before this moment with a mouth that shut, didn't say a word. He may have not agreed with the actions of Jesus' crucifixion, but he sat on the council and watched it happen. In that moment, if we're gonna be honest, we would probably categorize Joseph's faith as small, as insignificant, and some of our pride would probably begin to question what in the world was Joseph doing? Let's be honest, right? That's what we would do in a moment like that, but just moments later, Joseph has moved to a place where he desires to glorify Jesus. He knows where he fell short just moments before, now desiring to be someone who glorifies and honors Jesus in his death. Joseph is able to follow in faith because God's grace is rich and abundant to him. It's not about what Joseph has done. If it was, we'd see that record of wrong just moments before. Joseph can do what he has done because God is more gracious to him than he can possibly imagine. Church family, the same is true for you and I. If you sit here this morning and you would say, I'll be honest with you, Kyle, I feel like my faith is small. I feel like my faith is insignificant. I don't know if I would do what Joseph has done. It makes me feel a little anxious. It makes me feel a little weird as I read this because I can be honest with myself and admit that my faith seems small. Here, this is exactly why Jesus died for you. In rich grace and abundant mercy, you and I who were dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses, with no way to life, dead in sin, unresponsive to God, Jesus dies in our place, like we've seen leading up to this moment. He dies on the cross, dying to death. We deserve so that we'd be forgiven of our sin. And here's something that we don't focus on enough, that we're made new. You and I are new creations in Christ Jesus when we place our faith 
in him. There's a pastor named Kent Hughes that says, what we're seeing right here in Joseph's story, we can say this is what's happening, that God's grace allows Joseph to move from being bashful to being brave. Maybe you relate with that. Maybe you relate with that this morning. Hear the word of God. God's grace is rich and abundant to you. It's abundant to me. And through this redemption from sin and new life in Christ, through the, that we've been given through the cross, today can be the day where our faith is strengthened. Where we live in the grace of God, not out of shame or out of guilt, but understanding exactly who Jesus is, why he died for us, and that we can, in faith, seek to glorify and honor Jesus. That's what we are being invited to, and being invited to right now. But Joseph, he's not the only person presented us in this passage with a firm faith. If you would look with me to verse 61, we're introduced to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which, by the way, not a diss, okay? Being the other Mary is not like a put down. We're actually told in verse 56 who she is. So if you look up to verse 56, this is Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And if you look up to even verse 55, in fact, we're told that there were many women present at this time. So you can imagine seeing many women, verse 61, sitting opposite of the tomb. And an important point for us to make is verse 61 is not an insignificant phrase. It's not a transitionary phrase. It's not just something that we read so we can move on to the chief priest and the Pharisees. The word of God has something for us here to see. The fact that there were eyewitnesses at the scene of the burial who were watching exactly what's happened. They've seen Joseph take this body lay it in the tomb and move the stone in front of the tomb gives testimony that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. That the word of God is true in exactly in what it said Jesus would be. In this moment, there are eyewitnesses who help us build credibility, right? A reliable look, a trustworthy look that Jesus did die. He did die on the cross. He remained dead. And in that death, he's taken to a tomb where he will be laid down. And these women witnessed that. And in this culture, we hit on this a little bit last week, but just as a reminder, in this culture, women weren't typically viewed as trustworthy eyewitnesses for reasons that we would not lift high, right? That we, <laughs> that we would not believe to be true. You know, we want to honor these women, and that's exactly what God does. God honors their faith. Their faith is evident that they are present at the tomb in what would be such an extremely sad and sorrowful moment. Your Lord has been crucified. He remains dead, and you're watching this happen, but they are at the tomb watching this happen in faith. And here's why that matters for us, church family. This is really good news. You all ready? Through their eyewitnesses, through the rest of the word of God and things that are witnessed through history in the early church that confirms what we read is true, let alone that it's God and God is true. Our number one reason why. He's not a liar. He doesn't lie to us. He tells the complete truth always. And with that being the case, even by showing us that these women had the faith to sit and watch the Lord be laid in a tomb. That means that you and I have a testimony to share. That means that we have been shown what is true, and through being shown what's true, we are now 
able to proclaim it. A wise man once said to me one time, he said, Kyle, you will proclaim what you believe is true. That's worthy of our lives. That we, what we really believe is true, what we really think that we can bank our lives on is what we're gonna give our time to. It's what we're gonna speak about the most. It's what people will know us by. Now this was convicting for me and church family and all the grace of God, I believe it is for you too, that we must grow in our trust in the death of Christ and what it means for me and for you that our sin has been paid for and how that radically changes everything. This isn't a small detail and in the burial that our sin is placed and led away in the grave. What we believe to be true, we will proclaim. What testimony does our life proclaim, church family? Something for us to consider. And another note that we wanna make in this moment is even as these women are present at the tomb, our passage tells us, or in fact, our passage doesn't say that the disciples were present. If you'd come back and read with me. Disciples that followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry are nowhere to be found. In a moment of fear, in a moment of sadness, and in a moment of sorrow, they run and they hide. And these women are present in a firm faith with eyes that are fixed upon Jesus. Ultimately, we're being encouraged here through this first evidence to consider who our faith is in. To talk about what a firm faith is, we have to start with where has or where have we tried to place our faith? In other words, where do we bank our lives upon? Where do we believe that this is what I can count on the most? Is it ourselves? Is it our jobs? Is it our money? Is it our relationships? Is it our house? There's many things that we can be prone to place our faith in. This morning, we're being invited to place our faith in Jesus. Maybe for you this morning, that would be a first time thought for you. Maybe you've never thought before what it would mean for you to follow Jesus. I would love to talk to you about that. I know a lot of our pastors that would stand up here after our service would love to talk to you about that, that, hey, Jesus is better than anything else we could place our faith in. He is worthy of it all. And there's a pastor named Michael Lawrence, and he asked the question this way, and I find it really helpful. Who is the object of your faith? It's another helpful question. The object being, who is at the center of your faith? Is it someone? Is it some place? Is it something that is at the center of who you and I are? If we can be honest and know, anything outside of Jesus won't do. Jesus is designed to be the object of our faith. And like we talked about earlier, if you would say, I feel like my faith is small this morning, Kyle. Remember once again, God's grace is rich and he desires to strengthen your faith. A really godly prayer for us is one that the apostles prayed themselves in Luke 17, five. They pray this, Lord, help increase my faith. We can pray that today. Lord, my faith is in you, but it feels small. It feels insignificant. Lord, would you help me live in your grace and follow you in faith? I desire to glorify you. So we're being led to this morning. Our second piece of credibility is the skeptical thoughts of man. So we move on from Joseph and Mary Magdalene and the other women that are present at the tomb. And we move on to the chief priests and the Pharisees that throughout 
the book of Matthew, they are devoting themselves to proving that Jesus is a fraud, which he's not. But in their mind, that, that is what their life is to be about. Hey, he could never be Lord. He would never die and pay for sin. He would never raise again from the grave. We've seen those things that we've, as we've read through them, but it's present in our passage again today. If you look at verse 63 and 64, they are so sure in their minds that Jesus was a fake. They say, look at this imposter. But there's something really interesting they say here. They don't just say, hey, Jesus is an imposter. Let's lay him in the grave and move on. But they say, remember his words. Remember what the imposter said, that after three days, he will rise. What are they doing in this moment? They're, exer- they're exercising some skepticism. They are putting their disbelief out in front of them. And here's why. They're evidently not so sure themselves. <laughs> they're evidently not so sure themselves. If they were, they wouldn't have done what they did in the following, which is roll that stone in front of the tomb, seal that stone, and place a guard in front of it. But that's exactly what they did. They wanted the last piece of what could confirm to them that Jesus was a fraud. But church family, hear this today. To the skeptic in the room, hear this today. Maybe to the person who's like, hey, life has met me at a point where I'm wondering what I believe. Hear this. Little did the chief priests and the Pharisees know exactly what they were doing was proving that Jesus is who he says he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do. They didn't even even have a concept of that. But you know who does? The Lord, our God. In his sovereignty and in all of his goodness, he's in control and he knows exactly what's happening. Can you put yourself in the kind of shoes of the chief priests and the Pharisees real quick? He says, you know what, for Jesus to raise from the dead, he'd have to remain in the grave. For Jesus to raise from the dead, he'd have to somehow have the power or the ability to come back to life. He'd have to have the strength to move a sealed zone. And none of that is even remotely a challenge for our king. None of it. He says, hey, that's actually exactly what I said I was gonna do. (laughs) And I'm gonna do it so you know exactly who I am. I'm so thankful that we read Psalm 111 at the beginning of our time this morning. But just to read verse seven again, the works of his hands are faithful and just. And don't miss this. His precepts are trustworthy and true. Amen. Jesus is exactly who his father said he would be. Jesus is exactly who the word of God said he would be. And Jesus did exactly what his father and the word of God said he would do. We can bank our lives upon the word of God, church family. And I think an important note to make here, especially to those who are unsure what they think about Jesus, the word of God is not scared of your skepticism. The word of God is not scared, and by extension, our Lord, he's not scared of your doubt. He's not scared of the questions you have. He actually invites you to come to him and ask him. Come to me. Come to me and I can show you what is true. Like we've talked about earlier, we have a testimony, church family. You know why we have a testimony? Because we have the truth. We're not holding an opinion. We're not holding the next new fad that people buy into and believe. We're not holding on to the next high posted social media post. We're holding on to God's word. And we 
can proclaim it. So if you're here today and you're not sure, I just invite you, would you bring your questions to Jesus? I'm confident he can answer them. And I'm confident that he loves you as you ask him. He is for you and he desires that you would know him. Just through these two pieces of credibility, as we wrap up our time together this morning, what are we led to, right? Is it just to know that this was a real event? I think that's part of it. Is it for us to know that in God's character, he is trustworthy and true? I think that's definitely a piece of it. But what we're ultimately being invited is to rejoice and celebrate and trust in the power of God. Come to verse 66 with me. Our passage ends with what feels like a cliffhanger, right? Jesus lays in the tomb, he's there. And if you stopped reading the word of God at that point, man, we'd be without hope. (laughs) Jesus would would be just like every other God. But once again, here's the good news, he's not. (laughs) He alone is Lord. He alone can take his life and raise it back up like John 10 has said, and like we've read many times through the book of Matthew. Even though the tomb was secured, the stone was sealed, and the guard was set, God is powerfully working in this moment. Here's what that means. Even when you and I don't see past our circumstances, God is at work in those circumstances. When we can't see past the terminal illness, God does see past the terminal illness. When we feel like we don't know what the Lord would think of us because we don't know what we think of him, he goes past that. He's a step ahead. He says, look what I've given you in the truth of my word. And in our passage specifically, as Jesus lays in the tomb, God is working. There's a book called The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, and this is how he illustrates that God is working in this moment. And I think this illustration is powerful. It tells us a lot about God's power. He tells a story about a man named Christian, and Christian is carrying the burden of his own sins as he's climbing up a hill, right? So picture like a backpack, right? And as Christian sees a cross on top of the hill, he continues to move forward to it, and a little below that cross is a tomb. Bunyan says this, as Christian began to approach the cross, his burden began to tumble, it falls off his back, It continues to tumble until it comes to the mouth of the tomb where it falls in and he sees it no more. That's what's happening. Jesus is placing and putting our sin far away from you and I in the grave. No longer holding it against us. We are no longer children of wrath, but by the cross, children of God. When we trust in Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus, This is what is true, church family. This is faith in Christ, and this is what is happening. God is working, isn't he? He's working. He's continuing to secure the salvation that he's been working through the book of Matthew. And now he says, hey, even though you can't see it, I am working. And maybe some of you know the next part of the story. Maybe some of you have never heard the next part of the story. But next week, so excited for us to jump into the resurrection. This story is far from over. Spoiler alert though, I gotta give it to you. (laughs) Through this power of God that shows us that Jesus' death was real, that this burial is real, that it's trustworthy, it's true, and that everything Jesus has said 
is what we can bank our lives upon, that power goes past the grave. It goes all the way to the resurrection and even past that. What do I mean by that? Jesus raises from the grave, no longer dead, no longer in that tomb. He's alive. He is alive today through the power of God that only God has. Church family, we're being invited to trust, yes, in the credibility of God and who he is. We're being invited to trust that we can bank our lives upon God's word and we're being invited to celebrate, celebrate, rejoice, and trust in the power of God. Can you consider for a second that your God is the only God who has the power that he says he has? There is no other Lord. There is no other name that we can call upon for salvation. He is God. And we're being invited to celebrate and trust in him. And once again, if you've not trusted in this Jesus, we invite you to do that today. He's calling for you to come to him. As we wrap up our time together, there's three responses we have. And a guy named Tim Keller, maybe you've heard of him before, he says every time we read the word of God, there's a response. There's never a time that we are not to respond to the word of God. What is your response today? The first we have is to the skeptic or maybe to the non-believer or to the person here that does not know honestly what they think about Jesus. Just a question to ask. What will you do with the truths of God's word that have been presented to us about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? I say this in the greatest spirit of love that I can. You have to do something with it. You can believe or you can ask questions, but I, I hope that you don't put it off. <laughs> I hope that your response isn't, this isn't worthy of my time, or I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sit idle and sit by. And we, we all must do something with the gospel. It begs a response, and what you're being invited to is a life marked by God's love for you, marked by the forgiveness of sins, and marked by new life found in Christ alone. You're being invited to that. This God is inviting you to himself. What will you do with these truths? Our second response is to the church. It's to consider our faith this morning. Like we confessed earlier, we are not, or it's not past us to have our faith situated on the wrong things. That's not past us. In fact, if we can be honest, it's a little bit more common than we'd like to admit. So this morning, we want to consider the object of our faith. First, is your faith in Christ? Has this morning maybe just reminded you or revealed to you, hey, I'm banking my life upon things that really don't matter, that really don't hold no power in matters of eternity and in the abundant life that I'm promised now. The Word of God would invite us to place our faith again in Christ, to set Him as the object of our faith. And this morning, we're also being invited, like we talked about from Luke 17, 5, and I believe this to be true for me. I believe this to be true for every one of us, that our faith would be strengthened this morning, that our resolve and our trust in who Christ, and in who Christ is and what he's done would only grow stronger. We're being invited to that this morning. Here are a couple of questions that maybe help us consider if or maybe where our faith can be strengthened. First, would you say that you're ready to stand with Christ no matter the cost? Does the example of Joseph challenge you? I know it challenges me. I think this next one really, really challenged me. Are you led daily by your conviction and belief in who Jesus is or by the thoughts of man? It's easy to fear man instead of fear God. 
But we're being invited again this morning to fear God. And our last response this morning, so after considering our faith and considering who our faith is in, lastly, is to be confident in the power of God. Yes, in the short term, to worship Jesus. As the band gets back up here, that we will sing loudly to the God who only has the power that he says he has. That's maybe the short-term response, but long-term, that we would be ready to share the hope that we have in Christ alone. That our resolve would be strengthened today to proclaim the testimony, the goodness, the truthfulness, and the reality of the gospel. As a reminder, we will proclaim what we believe is true. Church family, we've been shown truth. What will we proclaim? I invite you to pray with me this morning. Lord God, you are so good and so gracious to us. You invite us to know you. Thank you for showing us who you are. Thank you for being a God that we can bank our lives upon, that we know is trustworthy, that we know is true. God, through the burial, would you allow us to trust and see that your death is sufficient. God, that you have paid for our sins, that you've buried our sin in the grave, and we can celebrate in your power. We know you're true. Would you strengthen our faith, God? Would you grow us today? In your name we pray, amen.